0: Today, we are still great in 1988 as we look at the comics, film, and television that dominated the late 80s. We reveal the comic books that topped the charts and look at the year in movies with one breakout action blockbuster that would change the game forever. Get ready to say yippee Kaye" on an all-new episode of Robservations. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Robservations. I am your host, Rob Leifeld. Here on Robservations, we discuss all the things comic books, all the things superheroes, Marvel, DC, beyond, and, and, and how they have exploded and continue to maintain their position as the biggest spectacles across all platforms of entertainment, movies, streaming, video games, toys, mobile games, superheroes dominate. I was there pulling comic books off the rack, 1974, seven years old, Eventually got to work in comics, make some really fun comics. I've worked for nearly every major comic book publisher, helped launch a comic book company with Image Comics 1992. Little trivia question the very first Image Comic ever published, launched, sat there solo for almost three months was Youngblood, number one. I wrote it, I drew it on the back of the uh, incredible success of X Force and the launch the year before. Just expanded was a hyperactive young kid. uh, Became a hyperactive old kid. And I do this podcast because I love comics. I love talking about comics. And as we have been uh, discussing, and and, and so many of you, you amazing audience members have have told me that what you appreciate about this show is that we chronicle so much of comic book history. We don't make it up here. We don't make it up. We we go to the sources. We absolutely one hundred percent give you. The receipts the dates the time stamps and and uh if i'm reading out of a magazine i tell you what year what number what page that the interview's on so many comic creators had so many great con- have had and continue to have so many great contributions to this amazing field that then become these incredible iconic characters movies events and and yet the comic book creators sometimes get lost in the shuffle and My passion has always been comic books. I I would prefer a good comic book to a great comic book movie. And yes, you put any of the greats and I just, I have a comfort level, a romance with comic books, but it's so great watching them, uh, you know, become these incredible pop culture events. And, and, and when I was a kid, comic books were seen as, as, as childish, they were associated with childish things. Maybe even if you were into comic books, you were immature. You were immature, maybe there was something wrong with you maybe you were stunted. I hid my comics in my folders at high school some of the comic books that I love the most, some of those X-Men issues, some of those Daredevil issues I, I I wanted to be near them all day long. I brought them in my folders, but I had to hide them 1982 83 84 85 I just wasn't comfortable because they would get they would get a giggle they would get uh they would they would get uh maybe some skepticism to, to quote the amazing Logan Roy in the final season of the amazing succession, when he looked at his uh, sad Roy children and he said, you're not serious people. <clears throat> you're not serious people. Okay. I love you, but you're not serious people. Yeah. I'm trying to find it. I can't get there. Uh, anyway, uh, it really people would look at you and think you weren't, you weren't a serious person if you were in a comic books. And then that changed, you know, I'm at my son's, engagement party just by the time you hear this less than a week back and this giant football player athlete uh who who, who just incredibly uh talented comes up and says mr liefeld i I'm, I'm i'm so excited he he has met my son from their relationship in in texas where where my oldest lives and, and works he said mr liefeld i, I i'm you know i've I, I love Luke. We've become such great friends, but I just have to tell you how much I love comic books and I love superheroes. And then he chronicled me his journey, which began in the movies, and that's the cool thing that they do turn them back. And he's gone to comic source. He's bought, he's his his interest in the comic books has turned him back into seeking out the source material. And that is the best uh result of that. But an athlete of his caliber, I couldn't find one that liked uh that liked comic books, that liked superheroes when I was growing up. You you would sense those who have your same interest in your same tent uh uh your same kind of uh hobbies your same tastes i just remember the most people exploded about any kind of pop culture action hero was 1982 the release of uh rambo first blood and how that exploded onto the scene and that opening weekend and everybody was talking about the new stallone movie and and lo and behold obviously Sloan found. A brand new action adventure icon who was especially as the sequels go on, and I watched them uh, both uh, just in, in 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 the past recent weeks. Caught up with um with all of the Rambo movies and just incre- how incredibly, uh, literally almost superheroic he does become. But that's the closest thing I remember. So so when some giant accomplished athlete comes up to me and tells me he's into comic book superheroes, I I love it because for me it started at such a young age, and I understand now. These giant movies, like let's say Endgame, is a giant commercial, a huge commercial for for the entire comic book field, and that's cool. And so, so we talk about all that, all all of that uh, kind of stuff here on the show. But today's show in particular focuses on the events of 1988. Our decade series carries us through different decades. Sometimes we're in the 70s, sometimes we're in the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. We pick a particular year. And we look at all of the ways that pop culture was shaped uh, during the course of that year, with music, with movies, with television, and with comic books. In part one of this 1988 year, we looked at the actual market reports that so many uh, comic book retailers, fifty different comic retailers, contributed. Uh, it's it's Overstreet Magazine issue number seven. A little, I loved that I'm going to be able to come back and do this correction. I thought this cover was by Kevin Nolan. The the, the uh, the cover to Overstreet, uh, Overstreet price update with Punisher and Wolverine. I thought it was by Kevin Nolan. Uh, I that the the on my copy the the signature is so faint, but it is indeed by Mister Jim Lee in his Kevin Nolan face. Uh, right between Alpha Flight and Punisher War Journal, and we've we've got great dedicated podcasts. I've done them uh, with you guys about uh, about sourcing and influencing and and, and influence. Not only what has Jim Lee influenced others, but he himself was greatly influenced. As was fill in the blank. Every certain every every single artist that you ever loved had some sort of influence that they were taking taking from. And and uh, so so forgive me. That cover is by Jim Lee. This Overstreet Price Guide number seven. I read from you all manner of different marker reports from retailers in Georgia, North Carolina, Florida, from Arizona, from Los Angeles, from New York. All of the different ways that, that that the comic books were performing in their different regions and their different stores, and really there weren't a lot of regional changes. they all were like Batman has battled back ever since Dark Knight, Batman, all things Batman are moving for us. does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? They talked about the killing joke they talked about Batman the cult they talked about a death in the family that had a number that you called into to see if Robin indeed was going to die uh boy, just some crazy insane times but Everything big that was happening for DC Comics in 1988, especially leading up to that big summer release, 1989 uh, Batman film, everything was about Batman for DC Comics. Over at Marvel, it was, and uh, as, as it continues to be, so much about the X-Men and, and focused on the X-Men. And let me tell you something. Even though the Avengers became the focus because they wanted the Avengers to be the top franchise when they went out and got investors to invest in what they had left in marvel and there are dedicated podcasts uh in my in my library uh to that subject i i think that particular episode where i grabbed the financial papers I, I grabbed the baron's article the wall street journals all of the different uh financial uh magazines that were writing about the fact that marvel only had c-list and d-list characters left and i think maybe that that that's probably in the title but it really talked about marvel was up against it their biggest selling titles fantastic four uh spider-man and x-men were 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 co-opted by sony and by by fox and they had to make you care and believe that the avengers was the most important thing in the entire company that they weren't left with mediocre characters so what did they do in the early 2000s prior to going out and getting those investors they invested in two to three years of the avengers becoming their top selling book and they did so by putting wolverine in the avengers for the very first time and spider-man in the Avengers. Front and center, you had the two biggest non-Avengers characters suddenly become Avengers. The most popular X-Men of all time, Wolverine, and Marvel's most popular superhero of all time, Spider-Man, became now the flagship of the Avengers so that you would buy that book and that book would chart chart number one. They, they, they put tons of covers on it to to show you, the fan and the retailer, we mean business. We're in this to win this. This is our new focal point. Well, So even when the X-Men wasn't the focal point, they were the focal point. They were, they were grabbing the most popular X-Men character and arguably the most popular Marvel character who originated in the X-Men. Not He, he, was, he was introduced, yes, in the pages of the Hulk, but his popularity soared, and he is identified as the most uh, popular X-Men character. I mean, again, who's the X-Men that got the most uh, heat in the movies? It's, it's Hugh Jackman's portrayal of Wolverine. So once again, and, and by the time they did this, there was already two X-Men movies out. OK, so we, the, the, the buying public, were like, hey, man, Wolverine and Spider-Man are now becoming Avengers. Yes. To get those numbers up, to get that chart position, to grab that attention. So so the X-Men were the number one focal point of everything that Marvel was doing in 1988. And we covered so much of that in the market reports. The market reports told you that the New Mutants book was in danger. It told you that D.C. had a hot new book by some kid who was drawing it named hawk and dove the kid wasn't named hawk and dove uh your host was the kid drawing it but hawk and dove the retailers i don't know any of these guys but they would all tell you they would tell you that marvel's and dc's weekly experiments with action comics weekly with marvel comics presents weekly and bi-weekly releases they they told you that they were struggling they, they, they actually nominated them for dog of the year bomb of the year because again when you commit to a weekly product it's got to deliver one guy went so far as to say the reason that the x-men And the Spider-Man titles that had gone bi-weekly during 1988, the reason that they were working is because they were one one dedicated storyline and people were buying all in on those books. And and, and so he had a great point. One storyline with popular characters will get people to show up these random kind of anthology titles that Marvel and DC were doing. I got to tell you, they were absolutely worth doing. The experiments are always worth conducting, but the results... Had come in and the retailers weren't happy with them, so there were adjustments to be made. What Marvel did is they just increased the quality of the Wolverine stories uh, in the A slot of the book, which which was normally the focus of the of the covers. And as we went on, you got great. Um, I was I was able. Hey, I was able to do a three parter with Wolverine. Based on that, Eric Larson was able to do a three parter with Wolverine and Spider Man. Uh, Sam Keith did a incredible did an incredible Wolverine uh, storyline. I mean, suddenly, again, Marvel reacts. Marvel has always been. An extremely positive reactionary, but we're gonna go back and at later in the show uh look look further at how the sales uh were doing for the comic books in nineteen eighty eight and in fact what were the top sellers what were the specific issues comics that were the top sellers for nineteen eighty eight but but first we are gonna uh focus on the films the movies of nineteen eighty eight and I'm going to tell you you are in for a shock there is like i I am 20 years old, 1988. I am totally uh, having a blast going to the movies nonstop. But you are going to be shocked at, at at what dominates. I mean, it is it is such. It's almost an outlier for every other year in regards to uh, what 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 is the dominant, really the dominant genre, topic, uh, uh, appeal for moviegoers during this time. And and so so we're going to get into these 1988 film charts and uh, and examine exactly what was going on during during that incredible year of 1988. So as far as the cinematic offerings, the top movies and films of 1988, there was one thing that nine of the top ten had in common. This was the year of the comedy. Laughter was at an all-time premium and it makes you think what was going on in the country at the time because it's kind of a reflection this is what the studios were making and this is what the public was flocking to but nine of the of the ten nine of the ten there is no if ands or buts when you read this there's one action film there is one action film and it just so happens to be one of the most important action films ever made and it had had a giant impact on everything that followed but the 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 nine out of ten don't lie. And and let let's journey right now. And I'm going to tell you, number one was just a monster. And it's so funny because I was actually we, my wife and I were just super best friends at the time. We weren't seriously dating, and we went on one afternoon, the weekend that 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 uh, that this movie opened. We went to the Orange Synodome, one one of the premier places to see movies in Orange County, and we were rolling in the aisles and also just absolutely floored and amazed by the special effects which in our lifetime this was like the first time that this had been uh, this had been attempted on this scale on this scale on this level and that is none other than who framed Roger Rabbit Roger Rabbit Roger Rabbit hit the cinemas like an avalanche i mean it just was the talk of the weekend every single artistic person you know were was blown away because the one thing people 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 have in common is they watched Bugs Bunny, they watched Roadrunner, they watched Disney cartoons. And so so Bob Hoskins and his detective character in this world where we walked alongside animated characters and uh and 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 Roger Rabbit and and Jessica. Oh my gosh. I mean, p- part of me wonders if Jessica would have made it past the censors today, but who cares? She was fantastic. Roger Rabbit was fantastic. Christopher Lloyd is creepy as hell. And that last shot where the Warner Brothers and the and the Disney characters that last uh, part of the film where they actually share the screen, get, you know, hats off to to not only Steven Spielberg but Robert Zemeckis for having the clout to to, uh, to 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 really lean in and say, please let this happen in regards to to Disney and and Warner Brothers and their you know always very competitive nature that that absolutely goes to Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny and and Roadrunner and Daffy Duck all of it. And, and and they and they laid down, uh, you know their differences, and, and they created this incredible truce that gave us the wonder of that last, you know, that last, that third act, that last scene, those last scenes. But the entirety of the movie is nothing short of uh, spectacular and phenomenal. It has heart. It is funny. Of course, you know, Bob Zemeckis has already completely proven himself over and over again with all of his incredible, you know, accomplishments. and And, and obviously Back to the Future was... Was shining bright uh, as as he uh, as he as he tackled who framed Roger Rabbit, which one thousand uh, percent dominated dominated the charts. Was the number one, the absolute number one top performer for the year of nineteen eighty eight. It made one hundred and fifty one million dollars, which you know, that doesn't sound much, not by today's standards, not by uh 35 years later standards, but but back in the day, huge, huge amount of, 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 of money, so much so that it is just shy of $30 million ahead of the next, it, it, again, really no mega blockbuster, but what we would call a mega blockbuster, but as close as you're going to get, and this is for the year, not just for the summer, this is for the year, the entirety of 1988, is who framed Roger Rabbit, number one with $151 million $668,000 and it dominated. Trust me, it was the buzz that, that the, the just flawless implementation of animation and live action was just so impressive. Crowds were roaring. I mean, Joy and I, again, we were just friends. I was 20, she was 17. We were just having, we, we went out afterwards and grabbed burgers and just were talking about what an incredible, we just, we just didn't see it coming. It was so fresh and it was so original, and it just really took audiences by storm. Based again on its incredible, you know, dominance of of the entire year. Again, as 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 I've 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 uh, I've said, like comedies dominated. Uh, Eddie Murphy came in the number two spot. Uh, just, just a pisser. I mean, I, I you were you were pissing your pants watching this. You were you were laughing your ass off. Coming to America was. Just the culmination, the super flex on the heels of trading places, on the heels of, of, uh, of Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, he just, even even Golden Child performed well at the box office. It wasn't as respected as the other two. But in, in his incredible concert film, Saturday Night Live, Coming to America, just cemented it. Again, a totally fresh comedy. Uh, original in nature, in character. Uh, Arsenio Hall, along for the ride. Great wingman, along with Eddie Murphy dominates came out one week after Who Framed Roger Rabbit. They 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 were literally the MVPs of not only the summer but the year. Coming to America is the number 2 most popular film of 1988. It grossed 127 million uh dollars. I'm getting these numbers from I'm getting these facts and figures from the uh website thenumbers.com. Number 3 came out Christmas of 1987 and just wouldn't stop roared all the way through the Wintertime and again a, another incredible comedy had a little drama component to it but sold marketed performed as a comedy Robin Williams good morning Vietnam just just a tour de force performance by by uh Robin Williams as a uh, radio announcer during the Vietnam War and again fresh exciting original and took everybody by storm, even though it came out in in, in December 23rd of 1987, it again powered through 121 million dollars, 600, 121 million, 650,000. Number four: Oh, baby. Again, kicked off really the summer was Tom Hanks in big. Another it, it, This was one of the last entrants in a year of body swap comedies. There, there, there was. Uh, that there was a a Fred Savage body swap uh, uh, comedy that that, that 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 I can't think of. I think Kirk Cameron and Dudley Moore were in one called like Father like Son, uh, the and and then and then George Burns. I, maybe it was called Seventeen again. It was something along those lines. Anyway, this this was the fourth in the Young Guy turns old entries, and it blew the doors off. Blew the doors off. Incredible direction, incredible performance by uh, by Mr. Tom Hanks. Who, I mean, if the guy wasn't already just blowing up all across the Cineplex in this in this performance, he just stole everybody's heart. And you felt this kid overwhelmed by being an adult uh, by virtue of this magic like Coney Island uh, 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 fortune telling machine. And and suddenly he's an ad executive and there's a comic book component in it, you know. And and again, it, it it's uh it, it's deemed to be too too too, too controversial, but uh, conceptually like too controversial in ter- in terms of its price point because comics are supposed to be cheap entertainment. They tell you, and this is going to be way too way too expensive. But uh, you know, little teenage Tom Hanks and suddenly big adult Tom Hanks. There's the infamous Toy store scene. Uh, with him dancing on the the piano keys and just big took the world by storm, took America by storm, $112 million. It was the number four movie of 1988. Crocodile Dundee 2. I loved, loved Crocodile Dundee 1. Thought Crocodile Dundee 2 uh, was just, uh, just, just kind of failed to live up to the brilliance of the original. Paul Hogan, put him on the map, giant, you know, international now, comedy, adventure star, and it had a huge, I remember it had a huge opening weekend, Crocodile Dundee, uh, just because everyone anticipated while wow, we get to visit and, and spend time with this character again, they, they switched it up, you know, uh, in, instead of, uh, in, in, instead of, you know, city to jungle, it's jungle to city this time instead of, I'm sorry, instead of jungle to city, it's city to jungle. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, it, it's a fun, it's a fun film and, and it really did prove the staying power of that franchise and it made 109 million dollars Crocodile Dundee 2 the number 5 film of 1988 Three Men and a Baby was released in Thanksgiving of 1987 and it made so much scratch in 1988 it came in 6 on the 1988 li- uh list you got you got uh you got Steve uh shoot is it Steve Gustafson Steve uh, okay T- uh, yeah, Ted Danson Tom Selleck and uh and three men and a baby just again took everybody, took took everybody by storm and uh, and and just dominated. I'm sorry, Steve Gutenberg. Forgive me, Steve Gustafson, whoever you are, whoever you are, Steve Gutenberg, the powerhouse from all the po- police academy movies that we love so much. Steve Gutenberg, Ted Danson, Tom Selleck. Tom Sellett. At the peak of his popularity with uh, coming off his incredible run on on Magnum P.I., Ted Danson, you know, cheers. It was really great casting. And again, a movie that was really cheap to make. I mean, almost like just above kind of sitcom level, but it grabbed everybody. And and literally, it's a Thanksgiving 1987 movie that just powered through it. Uh, Three Men and a Baby, number six for the year, 80 million. Cocktail number seven. They say Tom they they say top gun made tom cruise a movie star but then there have been numerous articles that said no it was cocktail top gun broke him but was it the air force the the military aspect of it the, the 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 fighter planes i mean certainly he was the face but there has been numerous especially at the times and i'm talking about the think pieces in newsweek in time in rolling stone in esquire is like you know is is this a tom is this a tom cruise successor is this you know the success of these incredible uh, producers because because Jerry Bruckheimer uh, had had huge success already with like Beverly Hills Cop so he his his uh filmmaking imprimatur which he would only go on to flex bigger in the 90s with The Rock with Con Air with so many other giant films they were like well what was the star of of Top Gun I mean was it was it the strong military fighter jet angle Tom Cruise decided he would let you know that in no uncertain terms, he was the reason Top Gun was a giant hit because he turned a movie about a down on his luck bartender in the world of bartending. And, 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 and a sad, kind of, kind of small little criminal element, gambling, you know, uh, deception, but mainly it's a guy who's serving you drinks, who, 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 who doesn't like the way his hand is playing out in New York and goes to the tropics. And of course, meets Elizabeth Hsu from Karate Kid. And uh, we, just it, it, a, a great little romance. And then, and then his mentor uh, uh, comes back into the picture and, and there's trouble. But this is completely, in a, in a 100%. And, and that summer, trust me, the LA Times, all, of, uh, all the new think pieces came out. Tom Cruise opened a movie that nobody, the critics didn't really even like this movie. They didn't think the whole, a whole lot of cocktail. But audiences showed up and made it number one and powered it. Cocktail was released July 29th by Disney, no less, by the Walt Disney Company, their touchstone arm, right? In 1988, and it went on to make $79 million. Right behind, I mean, just right, right behind Three Men and a Baby. So Tom Cruise made his case. Mixing drinks was, was, uh, what was that role was not kind of a prerequisite. Uh, like, like, hey kid, th- this is the path that you're going to follow to stardom. It was it was a random uh, selection, a-, a random role, but it gave him absolute 100% spotlight and it cemented that Tom Cruise is a giant uh, cinema, you know, megastar that draws crowds, men and women alike. Moonstruck is number eight. We are still not out of the comedies. Cocktail, comedy, drama at best. Uh... Moonstruck, romantic comedy, share Nicolas Cage uh, Christmas 1987, powered through 1988, would not stop, had a bunch of Oscar buzz. You know, Oscars, Oscars everywhere for everybody in the cast, all nominations, actual trophies, uh that so this carried through well into Oscar season, well 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 into February to March to April. So Moonstruck really carried through and enough to place it in the top ten, number eight for nineteen eighty eight, number eight for nineteen eighty-eight, with seventy-seven million dollars. Finally, boom, we get to the seminal movie. Actually, I'm gonna skip, I'm just gonna go down to ten. And ten took the world by storm. I I actually went out on a blind date. Uh, the guy who colored Youngblood number one, Brian Murray, he drew Supreme. He was dating uh a uh, you know, woman uh, uh in his age range, she's a little older than me, but she, and she had a she had a sister and he said hey would you you know we want to set you up with her and we went, she was a really nice girl named emily uh uh great great date Grab dinner at tgi fridays because your boy your boy rob was was spending big time at the tgi fridays okay but then we hightailed it once again to orange synodome to you see the opening night of beetlejuice and whoa did michael keaton blow everybody else just blow everybody away and and alec baldwin and gina davis and winona Ryder. what a blast tim burton super mega flex uh just incredible incredible uh box office performance again a crowd pleaser came out in march of uh came out march 30th just when the sun was 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 you know setting later it was the beginning of spring uh you know going into april that that weekend and uh boy did they bring it boy did it was really you know nothing you could you could predict nothing that was going to happen from what these guys were doing and what they were going to bring to us in batman only you know a year and a half later you know a year and a half later tim burton and michael keaton are going to rewrite the history books with the opening of batman but for for that uh march spring of of 1988 that movie came big and and it came it came hard and it made a crap ton of money uh with again just a completely original premise none of this like so far who framed roger rabbit coming to america good morning vietnam big i mean these are fresh people took a risk on this maybe maybe there's an Adaptation somewhere in there, but they're not. uh We're, we're not to the sequel point. Yes, so, will three men and a baby get a sequel? It will. You know, will coming to America eventually thirty years later get a sequel? It will. Okay, Crocodile Dundee two is absolutely a sequel, but there is so many fresh Moonstruck, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice is the number ten movie of the year. Michael Michael uh, Michael Keaton in an absolute. I mean, just uh, absolute tour de force performance and, and really uh, just putting Tim Burton on the map as, as if, as if he, he didn't already live there with Pee Wee Herman, Beetlejuice, uh, just absolutely, just absolutely crushed it. But that cast, I mean, that incredible cast with, again, uh, Gina Davis, uh, you know, uh, Alec Baldwin, Catherine O'Hara, Winona writer, but Michael Keaton in, in, the, in really the title role, Beetlejuice made a ton. Now, here's the deal. What is the giant action film? You know it. I'm about to say it. It changed everything. Die Hard. Die Hard. Which Bruce Willis had done like a romantic comedy right before this, but this is what made him a mega movie star. Die Hard. From, the, from Moonlighting, which was a hit show on ABC, to the everyman cop in the wife beater and the bare feet running across glass uh, against all of those insane terrorists as they take over. Uh, that the, the, I don't want to say it wrong. The, 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 the But anyway, we all know it is the Fox building here in L.A. Uh, and fights for his life to free the hostages, to save everybody. Gave the world yippee ki motherfucker. Okay? Our good buddy Bruce Willis, John McClane, Die Hard, came out July 15th. It made seventy-five million dollars. These are all domestic numbers. I'm giving you all United States domestic numbers. That's again, I'm getting this from the numbers.com, and uh, created a brand new dedicated genre of action film. They would call, uh, you know, guy battling people on a boat, Die Hard on a boat. They would call uh, Wesley Snipes battling terrorists in the air, Passenger Fifty Seven. They would call that Die Hard on a plane uh s- speed they called Die Hard on a bus with Keanu and with uh with Sandra Bullock they they it suddenly became its own uh its own genre Die Hard on a train Die Hard on a boat Die Hard on a bus Die Hard I mean the sequel to Die Hard got to be honest as much as I love the original Die Hard I favor the sequel I thought it was even bigger in scope and threat and consequence and I just loved uh revisiting this character so much but Die Hard was the only action adventure uh, movie in the top 10 amidst all of these com- comedies. And then you could say, okay, there's com- comedic elements in co- Cocktail. Excuse more drama anyway. Lighthearted, comedic fare just dominated the charts. And then there is Die Hard, which literally uh, changed action films for a decade for a decade. John McTiernan, who had already given us Predator, uh, follows this up with, with with Die Hard and just blows our minds. Absolutely blows our mind. Great script by Jeb Stewart and Stephen souza Uh you know, um there there's some great documentaries about about all the changes that they made and 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 obviously, you know, um that Bruce Willis was not the first choice, but John McClain and his uh uh Cat and mouse game against Hans Gruba, who, you know, obviously uh rest in peace, but put Alan Rickman on the map. Put him on the map. Both Sly Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger obviously had turned down uh the, the lead role of John mcclain and, and look, Bruce Willis was just so charismatic. And again, Moonlighting was getting such great ratings. And then to put him in this role, in this kind of everyman cop. Uh, in uh, in against uh, in over his head against all odds, uh, battling to save everybody. And the budget on this movie again is is twenty five to thirty million dollars, and it goes on to make just a couple dimes short of seventy five million dollars, and and blows blows everybody away and remakes really the action movie genre. So nineteen eighty eight, just for Die Hard alone, is seminal because. Again, you you give you give so many different action adventure windows for, uh, after this uh, w- windows for these great films for Wesley Snipes for Steven Seagal, you know for Keanu Reeves, Sandra Bullock, uh, just it, just incredible incredible cultural impact, incredible footprint. Die Hard is a seminal film. Combined just just the right amount of humor. Again, R rated. As as all those action movies, as Lethal Weapon, as Die Hard, as Predator, we were in the age of the kick-ass R-rated action film. You could show more blood, more guts, more consequential violence, um, the the cursing, the just adult nature of the entire film. But kept me on the edge of my seat. Die Hard is is for me the most memorable, right up there with Who Framed Roger Rabbit, just because of the breakthrough who, Who Framed Roger Rabbit was. But give, I mean, I don't think you can find another year where so many comedies dominated the charts i mean just 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 when you look at at the top 5 alone at the top 5 alone for the year of of 1988 uh i mean who frame roger rabbit coming to america good morning vietnam vietnam big crocodile dundee five comedies five boom then men 3 men and a baby comedy cocktail comedy drama moonstruck romantic comedy Beetlejuice comedy you had nine of ten slots nine of ten slots in 1988 so we were a nation looking for laughter and we got it we got it at the cineplex and we uh literally if you add up that 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 top 10 i mean clearly we were interested in giving those top 10 movies a billion dollars worth of our business or just shy of that in in regards to um all of the incredible success that these that these films were achieving now uh I mean, Naked Gun, uh, Twins opened later that year, A Fish Called Wanda, Scrooge. We were 1,000% invested in in comedy. Something about 1988. We just wanted new and creative ways to laugh, and we got it. So that is the film component of 1988. Interesting to look back on. Interesting to see how it impacted the culture. Twins, I've told you guys, Twins. Without twins, there is no Deadpool. Uh, so, so, so coming out holiday season, uh, 1988, uh, walking out, and 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 again, Wolverine, my favorite X Men, on my mind all the time. Weapon X, realizing that Arnold Schwarzenegger is a product of science, but basically, Danny DeVito is the few eggs that they had to break to get to the perfection of this incredible omelet that was Arnold Schwarzenegger. And again, when the doctor. When they they're like, well, how are we twins? And the doctor says, well, "Well, you're the good stuff," and then and then Danny DeVito goes, "Well, what about me?" And he says, and the doctor says, "And and and you're the crap," and and Arnold goes, "And you're the crap, you're the crap," like feeling very sorry for him. And, and Danny DeVito goes, "I'm the crap," and that's when I called my I, I called Marvel Comics uh, because I'm starting on the New Mutants, and I talk to them and I say, look, this character that I've got coming on this Deadpool character. I said, we we can establish Wolverine weapon X. That's a 10 that, that the X is, is it means Roman numeral 10. And Bob Harris said, yes, that's correct. I said, have we ever shown Roman numeral number nine? And, and, you know, did we show that on the way to making this perf- perfect murdering machine, that there were some others that, 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 that didn't go through that weren't as, as successful. And that's where I got the window and I pitched the idea for Deadpool. and, 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 it, 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 Curious enough, uh, there was an editor named Danny Fingeroth. I was about to pivot and not do New Mutants and do Alpha Flight instead. And so Deadpool would have found his way into Alpha Flight because my Alpha Flight would have re-implemented Wolverine as team leader for one year. Did I have credit and and, and did I have clearance to do this? I did. It caused kind of a kerfluffle, but I just wanted, uh, I just, I was looking for something that I could really uh, express basically give my entire voice to and i was a huge fan of alpha flight spinning off from x from x-men and there was a period where danny Fingeroth actually got it cleared with tom defalco that i could take over and and i'm going to tell you I've, I've i've told this on some other podcasts but just just to give you a focus of why would i be thinking about weapon x and wolverine and deadpool along those time along those lines and again danny Fingeroth, uh editor at marvel comics at the time would verify this and bob harris was furious with me because i was almost Again, I was I was looking for another off ramp from New Mutants because I just was was intimidated by the fact that I could even turn that around. And then my buddy Todd McFarlane, who I was uh, discussing with, said, oh, "Oh, they they said yes. Bud uh, uh, but you 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 don't want you don't want to go into Alpha Flight like like on issue like thirty eight or forty. Uh, tell them they gotta they they gotta restart it. Tell tell them uh, you'll do it." from number one all right bud do it from number one and i and i said hey hey danny finger out the way thanks for thanks for getting everything approved and uh cable deadpool would all we're all going to wander through that alpha flight instead of new mutants and he's like oh i'm not sure i got you cleared to write and draw alpha flight but i'm not sure so it just brings all the memories back the twin stuff brings all the memories back because that gave me this springboard of and and the boldness to hey I'm in the door I'm doing mutant comics my reward for Hawk and Dove was to draw the number one book you know in comic books the X Men while Mark Silvestri got some rest after that incredible Inferno crossover and and so you know I was rewarded with this opportunity and 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 so so I wanted to keep it going I, I I'm like I wanted to you know uh, again be the guy that that could turn a, a franchise around and at that time Alpha Flight needed it and 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 I was up for the challenge and and I could tap into all the stuff about Wolverine and Weapon X that I love so it was at the forefront so I was already pushing this through and getting this clearance but then with 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 the the heat that I I brought on by not only negotiating to do Alpha Flight instead but then at the last minute saying what well, has to be a number 1 and then that brought a lot of anger my way uh I then just retreated back into the new mutants uh with assurances that I would eventually be taking over the book, and I went from there, and that is uh, just m- one of the many angles and maneuver that 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 a young, hothead talent like myself was trying in regards, you know, to carving out my creative space and making a name for myself in the business. And again, that story I just told you uh, has Danny Fingeroth, has Bob Harris, has Todd McFarlane, as and Tom DeFalco as as the editor in chief, um, all of whom were, you know, I- involved in 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 this happening at the time so again twins blew me away towards the end of 88 and carried strong with me into 1989 and eventually you came to see all of my inspirations from uh twins play out in the pages of new mutants but here's the deal the comic books of of that year the comic books that we were digging we've already we we already went through the list with the market report and we showed you what the retailers were selling and and what they were most excited about <clears throat> But when it gets to the actual 1988 comic book sales to comic book shops, I'm going to read you what Comicron writes. I'm going to read to you what Comicron uh, writes. He says, uh, in the wreckage that followed the black and white comic book collapse, we talked about in this in part one, that independent comics following Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, everyone was thinking, oh man, what'll be the next Turtles? And so all of these black and white titles and companies that did just black and white comic books launched and people were speculating on them right and left looking to turn a buck immediately the radioactive hamsters were part of that they were the kind of the 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 poster boy for the failure of this well that that couldn't hold and that entire movement collapsed so john jackson miller writes in comicron 1988 and john jackson miller is always very honest about saying well he didn't get all the data from this one distributor but he got some data from this or he got all from one and a limited amount of, of another but he's always very honest in how he is trying to shape the picture that he's giving you with the best data that he can because not all of the data is available to him. And you're going to get some of that in this rundown of 1988. But he says, in the wreckage that followed the black and white comic book collapse, many distribution changes occurred in the direct market during 1988. The biggest news was that Diamond Comics distributors purchased Bud Plant Inc., a major West Coast comic book distributor, giving it a national reach for the very first time and making it the largest direct market distribution outlet. Its previous catalog launched the very next year. Capital City, Distri- uh, neither Capital City Distribution nor Diamond released bestseller list from that year overall, but we can tell you from Capital's own orders that the twin launches of Wolverine and Excalibur were likely the bestsellers in the direct market during 1988. While Batman the Killing Joke did lead in its release month at Capital Distribution, It did only barely edge Uncanny X-Men number 231. It was not able to beat X-Men 231 over at Diamond and probably is not in the top five comic books of the year for that reason and because of the extremely high cover price. Killing Joke was, of course, reprinted several times, boosting its sales considerably higher, but there is no mechanism in 1988 for reporting reorders and reprint sales. Uh, We have not yet located actual charts from Diamond for January, October, and November 1988. We presume that the top-ranked comics are the same as Capitals, which were the regular issues of Uncanny X-Men. Only some of the monthly charts for 1988 are live, but we do have most of them, and they're going to be added in the future. Stay tuned. So it goes on to tell you that in January, February, and March, and April, and May, and, and, and so, so the first five months of 1988, Uncanny X-Men is the top-selling book uncanny x-men 229 230 231 232 233 in june excalibur takes the number one spot in july wolverine takes the number one spot in august wolverine takes the number one spot with its second issue it takes the number one spot in september with its third issue and then x-men goes back to the top in october and november and december what they rank on comicron as your top five comics? Of 1988 are as follows Wolverine number one Excalibur number one Wolverine number three X-Men the uh, launch of the Inferno saga number four and then the second la- the second chapter in the Inferno saga is number five so you've got all mutant books so Again, the X-Men books, the Mutant Universe was on fire. Excalibur just blew in there, blew past X-Factor. So suddenly you had X-Men, Wolverine, and Excalibur were your top three, your top three bestsellers. X-Factor went to four and new mutants went to five. And new mutants would stay at the bottom of the rung for years because just the new books had the fresh appeal and the fresh heat and the fresh juice. While these books would later be challenged by uh, Todd McFarlane and his popularity as he surged and just won reader after reader back to the Spider-Man franchise, which had not been the top franchise. Uh, You know, it's interesting to note that Amazing Spider-Man did not beat the Mark Silvestri X-Men issues. Todd's popularity surged and it was the Jim Lee era that Amazing Spider-Man would find itself dominating, that it would find itself being the number one in the charts, do not lie. For nearly the entire year that Todd's Spider-Man launched, it was the number one book outselling anything the X-Men hurled at it. And it wasn't until the inevitable relaunch in 1991 of X-Men and the addition of X-Force number one that they really, uh, you know, created the new, the, the, the new shift back to the X-Men. But, but while Mark Silvestri and Inferno and all these books were going, they were the number one books. But throughout, through the end of 1989 and all of 1990, Spider-Man is on top. Spider-Man is outselling everything from Marvel. And, and, and just think about that. Is, is that we, we think about that that era on the X-Men as being dominant, but Todd could not be dislodged. As a matter of fact, New Mutants 100, when it came out in February of 1991, jumped past X-Men and became the number two best-selling uh, mutant book but it still could not dislodge Todd from the top spot during that period. That's how popular Todd and Spider-Man became. It's incredible. But during this time, Mark Silvestri, the Inferno uh, storyline, which then kicked off and really was, there was a lot of uh, spinoff titles in in, in other books like Power Pack. But the core book, the core story was told between X-Factor, New Mutants and X-Men. And I'm going to tell you, I feel like this was, Mark Slevitre at the top of his game. Walt Simonson at the absolute top of his game. We we think of Thor when we think of Walt Simonson so much, but Walt really rose to the occasion. You could see his work was pushing and and influencing Mark. I talked about this at the time, and and Mark was just like, "Oh, this Walt Simonson stuff. It just really inspires me." And you could tell Mark's stuff was pushed to a next the next level. The subject matter was perfect for the X Men, and look, they were all. Honestly, sexy as hell. Their clothes were all torn. The the guys were wearing bare chested, torn costumes. The girls, torn costumes. The villains, torn costumes. Debris, massacre. You know, bro- fallen buildings. I mean, they had a real apocalyptic flair to it. Mister Sinister, uh, just all of the great uh, uh, elements. Madeline Pryor and 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 being twisted in her and her her darkness ultimately being revealed just amazing storytelling amazing uh just pace given that the 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 tight nature of these stories coming out it really was a mega flex in regards to what chris carmart was doing at the time and i think this year goes down as with with the uh excalibur launch with wolverine and with uh you know with the ultimate uh success of inferno and and in the x-men titles and really honestly. I've got that in the essential edition, which is just the black and white pages. I've got them in uh, the trade and the hardcovers. And whenever I entertain this material, I mean, you can just see iron sharpening iron. Walt Simonson, Mark Silvestri just uh, absolutely inspiring each other to do their very best work on X-Factor and X-Men. And those two books were the most exciting chapters. Again, I'm in the business at the time, and I can't wait to get to the comic store and get these. Get these books and be inspired. And it really is—I think—one of the, if not the best. Uh, I'm on record. Seeing, I believe Inferno was the tightest, best of all the crossovers that the X Men have ever done. Over uh, Fall of the Mutants, over Mutant Massacre, uh, over Over uh, Extinction Agenda, Executioner Song. I just think Inferno just had style, attitude, and consequence to spare. And you know, two of those books are lodged in the top five and then the rest round out with Wolverine Excalibur uh, Wolverine number two so really the X-Men universe was on full flex at this time and those are your top selling your top five for 1988 and more to the point what was going on with the spider-man family Jim Salicrup and I mentioned it here before and it's fun to revisit it's fun to again in this moment while you're listening to this to give you a, a a fully kind of worked out view of what was going on. I was now doing a Spider Man annual and I was being recruited. Uh, Jim Sallochrop thought my stuff was complimentary and would go really well alongside Todd's. And it asked me if I would consider grabbing uh, either the Peter Parker Spectacular Spider Man title, that's the full title of that book, or Web of Spider Man. And, and he was trying to build and he would say, Rob, Rob, the X-Men, they already do so well. They already do so well. Come on over with us. Have a good time with Todd and me in the Spider-Man office. Come on, Rob, come on, he would tell me. I love Jim Salkrup. He was such a gem. Uh, and obviously, he did some great stuff. He would then recruit Eric Larson. I just was like, there's no way that I'm going to catch the juice from what Todd's doing, Todd was there first. He was doing the work that people were responding to. And again, I saw when Eric, who was doing, I think, the work of his career. Eric, the amazing Spider-Man work, the, the, the Todd Spider-Man book that he followed. I just, I think Eric rose to the occasion and then someone he has. He has issues and a body of work that I like more than Todd's. And I love Todd's stuff. This isn't like, oh, he's better than. Him. I just, I like them more. Because they're more action oriented, they're really big, they're really bold, and uh, and yet he was always kind of given the second position, besides but Todd, behind Todd, because Todd was the pace horse. He was the guy that got there first. He was the guy, like they say, of Tristan Brad Pitt's character in Lizard of the Fall*. He was the one they broke themselves again. He was the rock they broke themselves again. Again, I felt like ultimately I could make my mark on New Mutants after being talked down the crazy Alpha Flight. Uh, Option, and that was even after I pursued doing the new Young Avengers book, which I've chronicled on here. Uh, Mark Grunwald had called and told me, "Look, Rob, bird in the hand, take the bird in the hand. New Mutants is happening. Uh, Young Avengers, which would become the New Warriors, is still a ways off. Do this." And look, I, I'm really thankful that he pushed me in that direction. Now, did even given that, did I try and go do Alpha Flight? I did, <laughs> and uh, and if I've never talked about that before here again, again it was uh, ooh. I really managed to get under people's skin with that because I was just extremely aggressive and trying to find my niche. And if you're out there in the comic book business and you're trying to find your niche, I relate to that. And you're like, man, in the sea of Batman books, how do I stand out? It's tough. It really is tough. And, and, and so I'm very thankful that everything, you know, broke my way. And I was given the creative reins on new mutants to kind of go my own way and re recast, rechange that book. but, the X-Men just absolutely dominated in 1988 and, and, the, and the charts and the sales don't lie and in between the market reports in part one and this rankings examination, I think we've you know come to that conclusion. So rounding out our discussion of 1988 is the television shows, the television shows. what were we watching? What were we beaming into our rooms? what were we rewarding? Here, here's the deal. We are going to discuss and find. Really fast, how much the TV end of things is reflective of the movie end of things. Everything's comedy. Everything is a comedy. The television of of uh, the 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 television of of nineteen eight is absolutely indicative, uh, really reflective of, of what was going on with the films. So. You think, well, what was the top shows? What were you watching? Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe you weren't alive. Okay, maybe you were four, five, six, eight, 12, whatever. Again, I'm 20 years old. Cosby Show is still number one. Cosby Show, which roared in the middle of the 80s, roared onto our television screens, reestablished Bill Cosby as one of the giants in entertainment and comedy. Uh, he he was still the top show, getting an average. Of just shy of 26 million, uh, well, his rating was 25, just shy shy of 20, uh, 25.7 was his rating. Roseanne Barr had crashed the party. She brought this kind of, you know, blue collar workforce, blue collar workplace comedy with this (laughs) blue collar family. They roared onto the scene and became the number two show, just behind at twenty four, a rating of twenty four. So knocking on Cosby's door, uh, the the Cosby Show did a spinoff uh, when 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 Cosby's daughter went off to to school to college. A different world emerged, and a different world was the number three comedy. It followed the Cosby Show on Thursday nights. Cosby Show number one, Roseanne Barr. On ABC, number two, completely, I mean, Cosby is an upscale family in New York City. Roseanne is a, kind of an impoverished, struggling to make it, living paycheck to paycheck, raunchy, uh, just raunchy, kind of down to earth, honest, honest driven comedy from Roseanne Barr. A Different World, number three, the, the, the you know, Cosby daughter goes to college. Number four, Cheers. Cheers continues. To make its case and will only continue to climb towards the end of the 90s, into the beginning of, of uh, the end of the 80s, towards the beginning of the 90s. So Cheers is number four, tied, virtually tied with a different world. So NBC has still got that Thursday night on lockdown, giving them three of the top four. Cosby Show, A Different World and Cheers. 60 Minutes, the eternal news juggernaut from CBS logged in at number five with a 21.7 rating. The Golden Girls. OK, the Golden Girls coming at number six. This is the peak of their popularity. 20, a rating of 21.4. Who's the boss? People forget how big this Tony Danza show was. OK, and, and Alyssa Milano, you know, was was uh, seared into our hearts and minds as, as his daughter on Who's the Boss, which was the number seven show in America. In 1988, Murder, She Wrote, I've never seen an episode. I have never seen an episode of Murder, She Wrote, but my aunt, Ginny, lived off this show. This was, this was her show. She taped it. She watched it. Uh, never missed it. Murder, She Wrote, Angela Lansbury, was the number eight show. Empty Nest, another comedy over on NBC, was number nine. And Anything But Love with Jamie Lee Curtis was uh, the number 10 show anything but love just incredibly incredibly well written and uh little little aside there my wife appeared in an episode along with her sisters uh and i think maybe the second season of anything but love and i went to see that taped and i'm going to tell you right now uh but between uh jamie lee curtis and uh Richard Lewis, they just, they just had a blast. And it was, uh, they were, they were so kind to my wife and her sisters. And they were kind of, I think they were playing like girlfriends of, uh, of Richard Lewis. And it was just, uh, it it was, it was super fun episode, but that, that, that show really from the minute it debuted caught, caught everyone's attention and, and kept everyone's attention for a good long while. And, uh, Anything But Love rounded out the top 10. So, I mean, you, again, let, let's look. What do we got here? We got The Cosby Show. Comedy. Different World. Comedy. Cheers. Comedy. Golden Girls. Comedy. Who's the Boss? Comedy. Empty Nest. Comedy. Anything But Love. Comedy. Eight of the top 10 slots are comedies. 16 Minutes is number five. And Murder, She Wrote is number eight. And then even when you go down to uh, 11, Dear John, another comedy from uh, with Judd Hirsch on, on, on NBC. Growing Pains at number 13. Alf at number 14. I mean, comedy, what was going on in our society? We wanted to laugh, whether it was aliens with, with a family like Alf or, um, you know, the cute teeny bop, you know, kid like Kirk Cameron in, in Growing Pains or the antics at the bar with Cheers, the continued adventures of the Huxville family, their daughter going off to college. We loved our situational comedies, our 30-minute comedy mix. Very family friendly. All of these shows, extremely family friendly. Who's the boss? I mean, give me a break. Totally family friendly. But the top 12, 13, 14 shows on network television that we were giving mega ratings to were all comedies, which again, growing up to me, it was the cop shows. It was the rookies. It was TJ Hooker. It was Magnum PI. It was Matt Houston. It was SWAT. You know, it was Mannix, which was a detective show. It was Columbo. Uh, I mean, the the the, it was Kojak, it was uh, I I mean, so many the Rockford Files, detective shows, and cop shows had been such the focus of me growing up, and then the slight deterrent, the 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 slight turn towards the the age of the superhero with Six Million Dollar Man with Bionic Woman, with Wonder Woman, with Incredible Hulk. Yes, you had your Norman Lear All in the Family, which we watched religiously. Yes, my conservative family would not miss archie bunker ever always turned it in always got a laugh didn't care about the fact that maybe the politics of that show didn't line up they watched uh all in the family the jeffersons Maud. those were sunday night regulars immediately after we got home from church because we had sunday night church i've told you i had to light a thermometer more than once to make sure that i didn't miss the sasquatch episodes of six million dollar man because there was no way in hell i was missing the sasquatch episodes of six million dollar man but by the time we get to 1988 we have definitely turned a corner comedies are king that's what's getting the eyeballs that's what's getting the ratings and again between that and the films we were just a nation that enjoyed laughter i don't remember we, we were not a sad nation because you're looking at the end of the ronald reagan era heading into the uh the the bush one presidency and things seemed to be booming uh in, in the country i remember as as a kid uh Growing up during that, that time, it didn't, uh, the, the times were not seen as depressed. It was exciting. Sports was, was growing, uh, basketball, football. I mean, and maybe you can say, hey, life, you were just a drone asleep at the wheel, 20 years old, not paying attention, I, uh, guilty, guilty as charged. I was absolutely 20 years old, not giving a shit, just needing to make my deadlines, make my name in comic books, trying to scheme my way through the system. And, uh, lucky enough, like I said, to be welcomed into the X-Men family speaking firsthand. A lot of times I know, uh, I just, I give you where I was in, in course of the industry at the time, because I want to tell you like where I was, you know, on the beach If comic books and the comic book battles are the beaches of Normandy. I'm going to tell you where I was when we were, when, when I was storming them, you know, was I getting shot first off the boat? uh did i make it up up to the dunes you know did i make it far enough to go uh and, and get commissioned to save private ryan alongside tom hanks i mean that that's kind of how i judge judge things the comics industry is competitive it is ruthless yes did i just compare it to, to a, a seminal world war ii uh real life battle yes but i'm doing that with tongue firmly planted in cheek you know if pat Benatar can sing about love being a battlefield I can talk about comics being a battlefield. So sometimes I just reassess and tell you where I was at any given time and trying to bust through and make my deadlines and get noticed at the end of the day, uh, that the bottom, that that the fact that I was, uh, I was the last picked to do Hawk and Dove and was able to create some excitement with that, get the phone call, the life altering phone call from Bob Harris. Would you like to come work in the X-Men office? Which led to me doing an actual issue, an entire issue of X Men and an entire issue of X Factor, both aftermath episodes, uh, kind of, kind of uh, uh, relief stories post Inferno. You know, I was right there; I was right in this age of comics, and uh, and it's exciting looking back on it and seeing all of the stuff that was working. And again, the Batman quality that the the products that they're talking about with Batman, Batman the cult, Death in the Family. Uh, the, the the Batman events, the Killing Joke. This is high quality stuff by some top names: Jim Starlin, Bernie Wrightson, Jim Aparo. Uh, you you you've got you've got Brian Boland and no less than Alan Moore combining on an epic instant classic. Killing Joke was the buzz. Absolutely took comic books by storm. I was in. The New York offices towards the end of my Hawk and Dove run about issues three or four visiting when an editor gave me 11 by 17 copies of Brian Bowen's killing joke to look over there in the office. And I was just blown away. And I went home and I told all my friends, oh my gosh, you've never seen anything like this. And again, when you go to Sylvester on the X-Men, you go to Spider-Man being done by Todd. You go to the Alan Davis doing Excalibur. The excitement around Jim Leon, Punisher War Journal. This was a really exciting time in quality was being rewarded by fans and retailers alike. So, comics and movies, we were laughing. In music, we were rocking, whether it was Guns N' Roses, whether it was uh, Van Halen OU812, whether it was Def Leppard, whether it was the latest release by Bon Jovi in their previous episode. I, I showed you that these all charted extremely high. Rock was a big component. Of 1988, and and that pivot would only increase as as the, the following year, Motley Crue only got more more popular. um Kind of glam rock started happening on the backs of Motley Crue and Poison and several others. But the rocker era, if you can put that in air quotes, I think it, it belongs in air quotes air quotes starts in 1988 and just barrels forward. And of course, Guns and Roses is the most kind of uh, hard that 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 the, 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 the The most kind of raw and and appetite for destruction is easily just an unmatched album across the board. Just incredible. They they dominated. So laughing in the movies, laughing at films, rocking out in music, and absolutely just action adventure was the key, whether it was with Batman or X-Men, the mutant titles from Marvel and DC over the course of 1988. I was there. It was great. It was a... Just amazing, discovering all this stuff, and, and I really want to go back to the top movie and tell you how groundbreaking the blending of animation and live action was with Who Frame Roger Robert?" And I cannot imagine how difficult it was directing that movie, getting uh, actors like like Bob Hoskins and and Christopher Lloyd to to act to those, you know, against the green screen and with the golf balls suspended and, and, and imagining all these cartoon characters running around. Who framed Roger Rabbit is is as seminal for his, its age during this period as Jurassic Park would be five years later, but in a totally different way. But boy, oh boy, just an incredible year. And again, Die, die Hard changed everything for action movies. So really exciting year. So happy to revisit it with you guys and 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 do this deep dive across two episodes. I love the decade series, and you guys, your your feedback is always great because I always enjoy hearing exactly how old you were during this time and maybe look some of you weren't around and I I I know some of you vloggers and bloggers you're like I wasn't there for death in the family you can't relate to the fact that like the way we would open up the books and go wait there's a telephone number DC's giving us a telephone number to call to log in a vote whether Robin could die or not you had you had to be there to experience like the cuz cuz there was a moment like where's this going to go is Marvel going to co-opt this is this going to go to the independents? But it, it really ended up being singularly. Now, I did look into, as I know Jim Lee and I had extensive conversations about using these uh, these telephone numbers uh, for for contests, just for our, our own personal creative endeavors, fan clubs. I mean, there was definitely, and it, it, it really did crack open a new realm of possibility, but nobody did it. Uh, as dedicated as death in the family did it, and again it was it was just being there while the new world order of comics was being created and and uh, and, and, and the, the the power base was shifting and clearly, as I have said over the three hundred and thirteen fourteen episodes of rob's observations, Frank miller's imprimatur on all of this is undeniable. Because Dark Knight just changed everything. Even the way he was depicted, Bernie writes in, in Batman the cult, again, a perfect bound, glue, uh, you know, glue bound, square bound, which is what they called the perfect bound or the prestige format, which was the Dark Knight, the, the format that Dark Knight pioneered. No staples, thicker, 45, 50 pages. The Batman that was featured in the cult is thicker, stouter, stronger, bigger, not, not the leaf uh, athletic frame that he had in Brave and the Bold, in World's Finest, in his own monthly series, even at the time by, by Jim Apparel. But the special projects that were coming out was depicting a different, grislier, darker uh, Batman. I'm not sure Killing Joke happens without, I, I'm certain Killing Joke does not happen without Frank breaking that mold. Exciting time, 1988, the Decade series. We're going to continue to go through these select years and share them with you and, and, and look back and see what what's changed. See see what's different. A little Punisher, Excalibur, kind of yesterday's uh, incredible icons. It happens, you know. You one day the, the the these characters are everything, and then the next they've just been shuffled out and replaced. And uh, certainly, you know, new faces emerge, and you got to fight for your real estate. It it cannot be given up without a fight because new characters are coming in all the time to dominate. So, the decade series has a lot to offer. Thank you. For, for as always, for going through it with me. I am so appreciative that you're taking this ride with me along Rob's observations. Now, you know that at the end of each and every episode, I um, share the incredible reviews that you that you take your time and, and, and share with us the, the, your expressions of your enthusiasm uh, for Rob's observations. Look, again, this little show was born out of my abject loneliness during the pandemic and wanting to talk about my passion and we, we booted it up, we put it out there and you have shown up and it's exciting to me uh, to talk comics with you and to share so much of this comics history. And I am so happy that all of my crates and boxes of comic book magazines are are helping give us and round out pictures, these retail reports, these interviews, they just cannot be equal. These are snapshots in time of, of what was going on. When you guys write these re- interview, write these reviews. When you post these positive notices about the show, they, they help us tremendously. They help us uh, on the platform on Apple on Spotify. Today's today's incredible review. Incredible review comes from D Rockalypse. Okay, how do you like that name, D Rockalypse? Gives us five stars. D Rockalypse writes. The title is Amalgam. Rob, I love the Amalgam episode. It was a really fun time when those books came out. I loved Dark Claw. Thank you for covering Amalgam. That's it. Boy, I am so excited to receive just the affirmation that you enjoyed an episode and you gave us five stars. You signed your name, D-Rockalypse. Okay, I kind of like that name. Kind of wish I had thought of that. D-Rockalypse. Thank you for loving the Amalgam episode. It was about time. It was about time we shared that spectacular work all of those books. I think there's not a stinker in them. All of those books are fantastic. Amalgam is one of those rare, just pure home runs, success across the board. We talked about it. There's an episode, dedicated Amalgam episode, just a few back from this one. Again, if you're just jumping on Rob's observations, those early episodes, they're raw, but they are from a, a really passionate place and they will give you a perspective of a young kid, Who's introduced to the awe and wonder of comic books and how they will absolutely impact and change and alter his life, and how they will comfort him, me, during times of incredible stress in our family, through illness, uh, through financial struggle. Comic books were my instant escape. It's why my bond with them is so strong. And over all these episodes, that's what I'm sharing with you that is the most meaningful because I know so many of you have shared. While I was in the same place. I was moving uh, home to home. I was from a military family. We kept jumping. Comics were my constant. Uh, Rob, I had a difficult childhood, comics for my escape. These are the things that you've written into me. I so appreciate them. for the fact that you can sit down, commit, type, and share that with me is so touching. I don't take it for granted. I thank you so very much for listening to Rob's observations. Now, one of the ways, many of the ways that you can catch me is on social media. And I am on Twitter a lot. It's probably my most frequented uh, social media platform. My name on Twitter is Robert Liefeld, the full name, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, no breaks, just Robert Liefeld. I have a pesky little blue check. It comes and goes right now. It's there. I just checked. It tells you that I am the legitimate Rob Liefeld, not the phony accounts. I love hearing from you. I love hearing what you like, what you're buying, uh, all, all the stuff that you share. We share enthusiasm for different sport teams, movies, television, memories, toys. I love just all of the the, the, the interaction that we get on that. Uh, on that platform and thank you so much for for interacting with me over on twitter i am at robert life and i look forward to talking to you there my video diary my my visual my picture diary of my life is instagram where i am just at rob Liefeld. i have the blue check over there as well I'm telling you it is really me not some imposter i am never going to ask you for um some sort of donation or or money i mean i see these other uh, uh again friends of mine who who will post like that's not me. This isn't a phony account. I've had that happen to me as well. That is where, that that is really the value of the blue check is just telling you that you are actually talking to the legit verified person behind that name. I am at Rob Leifeld on Instagram. I love to hear and talk to you. I love your messages, your comments, your reactions, your your DMs. I see them and I read them all. Thank you so much. I try and keep up with all of the interaction that you guys provide me over there. Thank you. It is where I show what I'm eating, uh, where I'm going. Uh, the friends and the family that I'm hanging with, the stuff that I'm drawing, the work that I'm doing, uh, the travels. I I really enjoy Instagram. It's probably uh, my favorite expression on social media, but I talk way more on Twitter. So Twitter at Robert Liefeld, Instagram at Rob Liefeld. I look forward to seeing you on both of those. I also invite you at this time to come join my Facebook group. It's a group. It's called Rob Liefeld Marvel Extreme and Beyond. I would love to hang with you over there. If you um, find the group and you submit either myself or a gentleman named Terry Sala S A L A, we are the two administrators, the the moderators of the group. We will click you on through. That is how you know you are at the right Rob Liefeld group. Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond is where we continue. So many of the discussions that we have here carry over into that group, and we go deeper and we talk more. And I share um, old art stories, comics. Terry runs a weekly art contest. With people putting their entries in, and we, uh, and 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 there, there's polls. It's just, it's a blast. It's like a little clubhouse. We in, we invite you to join us, Rob Liefeld, over on Facebook. The Rob Liefeld group is Marvel Extreme and Beyond. Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. That's what you're looking for. Hope to see you there. Hope to click you on through to the other side. I have currently in stores right now because yes, I'm still making comics. Issue three of Deadpool Batter Blood. Uh, the sequel to Deadpool, Bad Blood, the top ranking Deadpool. The only time Deadpool ranked number one on the charts was with Deadpool, Bad Blood back in 2017. This is the follow-up, the sequel, Deadpool, Batter Blood, Wolverine, Cable, uh, Spider-Man, Venom, Venom, Pool. Everybody's bouncing around some brand new characters that I've introduced, rounding out the, the rogues gallery of, of Deadpool and giving him even newer, more sinister villains. Deadpool, Batter Blood, number three is in stores. If you can find a copy um, this entire series has been selling out. Please ask your retailer if he can catch you up. Uh, we went back to press on issue one. Some of those 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 uh, second prints should be out there just to get you to interact. I hope you can get a copy of one and two along with three. Once you get three, you're about seventy two seventy four pages into the story. Issue four of Deadpool Battle Blood is out September twentieth. It could be fifteen days from the time you hear this. It could be fourteen days from the time you hear this episode. Fourteen days. It's going to be a short brief window there was only three weeks between issues three and four i'm so excited that gives us tremendous uh uh, momentum also emotion but tremendous momentum with deadpool batter blood number four coming out on september 20th hot on the heels of the just released on august 30th deadpool batter blood three deadpool batter blood four is coming at you five will come at you in october and we will wrap the saga up and i'm going to tell you i told you for months issue three was my favorite until I did issue 4. And so many of you said, "Rob, I see what you're saying with issue 3. I wanted to go bigger, bolder, faster. The spirit of Jack Kirby, can I have as much fun as he was having?" That was the that was the challenge that I took upon myself when he was doing all his work for DC Comics then came back and did Captain America, Black Panther, uh 2001 Machine Man, Devil Dinosaur, just the incredible fun that Jack was putting into his pa- his pages at the time. That is what I'm trying to do with my Deadpool Batter Blood. I I trust that you will not be disappointed if you give it a chance um, I thank you for all the people who have supported Deadpool batterblood in stores now with the fourth issue arriving September 20th I am so thankful uh, that you listen to this show and I am rooting for you whoever you are wherever you are right now that you are experiencing uh, the the positive uh, mental emotional physical and spiritual effects uh that you want that you that you desire in your life that you are just uh in a positive space and and you're overcoming the obstacles as we are all overcoming the obstacles and the burdens in our life and and we are um taking time out for ourselves to re re, 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 re really replenish our energy and our focus and i do that by getting off the treadmill by 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 uh, just th- this summer i just say you know to my wife my very best friend uh married 28 years known her much longer than that hey let's go for a walk. Let's go for a visit. Let's get out. Let's go to one of the outdoor malls. Let's go get, grab grab a bite to eat. Let's go visit some stores. Let's go shopping. Let's uh let's just, you know, just window shopping. Not 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 we got to buy something. Just let's go browse. Let's go peruse and uh get some fresh air. We we take that time deliberately. We make that time. Sometimes it's 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 a trip out to the pool maybe for you, it's a trip out to the jacuzzi. Maybe it's going to your favorite Italian restaurant, your Mexican favorite Mexican restaurant, your favorite Greek restaurant. Your favorite Indian restaurant, my kids all oh, man man they, they they where they part ways with me is they live at the Indian food restaurant and at the sushi joint at the sushi bar and whatever's your pleasure, man is whatever's your pleasure, and also let's get those cheat meals in there let's get those milkshakes those ice creams, those gelatos, and of course drum roll, please, the damn Reese's big cup I don't care what it's stuffed with bacon uh salami onion rings i I just I need them. So bad french fries is french fries next i I kind of feel like it's next right now it's chips, pretzels, cereal, oh my gosh, peanut butter and chocolate the two great great tastes that absolutely taste great together is my uh best ninety seconds of every day, and it just i, I my 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 tongue and my brain tingle simultaneously i i i i i i limit it to one, but again it's just that indulgence that 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 little bit of something just for you that just takes you away, gets you off the treadmill that we're all on, gets you off the grind. I'm rooting for you. I am hoping that you find that time with family, friends, have that great meal, watch a streaming show, read a comic book, a graphic novel, or maybe just a great book, period. Manga, anime, all of it. I am rooting for you. I hope you are doing well and you continue to do well. Please come back and visit me. I'm going to be here. I want to speak with you. I want to continue to hang. I will most definitely, absolutely, and inevitably speak to you again real soon.